Hello and welcome to Say That Podcast. Your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I know how to do it. Also joining us, director of Mission USA Productions, Jeb Brewer. It, an important word to define. Joining us all the way from Rockridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Beginning in scandal, who would have thought? Beginning. In vague but undeniable scandal. Well, we got a lot of good stuff on the show here today. But first, I must declare a brainstorming emergency. Whoa! Whoa! Now, so last week we we had the the travails of the the uh, friend Adam who dreamt that we would fail at business, and then we set out to prove him wrong. And within about forty five seconds, had not only totally shipwrecked the whole idea. But in ways beyond which he, he even guessed we would. Yes. Right. <laughs> if you recall, I listened to that last week's show. His thing was like, I dreamed that you guys opened a burger joint, but it failed because you were too busy just chatting with the people and you ate all the stuff that came back. And ours was like, we, you can't find it. And it only, one only exists in Milan. Yeah. And you have to wear fashion approved items by Glenn in order to be let in. So yeah. we were, right. like we were, we were worse at business than, than predicted. So here, here on the show this week, I think. I want us. I want us to get back on track. Okay. I want us to get back to something we're doing that. Right on. And that is ripping off successful stuff. Ah. And putting a ah. slight Christian spin on it. Love it. Okay. Can't Love miss. It. it is the backbone <laughs> of a previously thriving Christian knickknack store industry. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, there's the thing. You, there's the band you wanted, or the T-shirt you wanted, or whatever. And your grandma's not going to buy you that. Yeah. She's going to buy you this. Yeah, that's right. So on this particular one, uh, so uh, Jed and his wife have done a fair amount of traveling recently for her job, and they mentioned that, and if any of you, I think some of our younger friends have probably had this experience, if you are kind of of a cord cutter, do the streaming, whether you're in like a hotel or an Airbnb or, you know, staying with like your parents or something, there's this experience of, so this is what TV is now. Yeah. Huh. I had a very similar experience recently, and uh, we turned on the, the Discovery Channel. And sure enough, it was the exact same show Jed and Hallie had mentioned, which I was not entirely sure was not a figment of Jed's imagination. It's always possible. (laughs) And this is a little show called Naked and Afraid. Okay. That sounds provocative. It's somehow not as bad, but also way worse than described. Yep. So again, running on network television or a cable, basic cable television. So the the premise, best I can tell. Wait, wait, wait. I was was going to ask, is the premise... Seventh grade gym class. <laughs> after shower time, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, this, this one it gets important to read the little description on the cable box. Now, this Glenn bit, question: uh, Are are there naughty bits in this? Uh, blurred, <laughs> blurred. The premise of the show is they take two people who don't know each other, normally a man and a woman. They drop them in the middle of some unforgiving wilderness, a desert, a jungle, whatnot. Right, and they have to survive like I think it's like forty days, very biblical already, and then they gotta like make it out. Right. So it's like a challenge, but they literally have nothing, not even close on their back. So They're making hand. out? Is that what you said? They're making out? Seems... I mean, I assume. I didn't watch that many episodes, but I'd be shocked if that didn't happen at some point. Yeah. So, but the, uh, so again, one of the first things I always do, like we watch like three or four episodes of this in a row, because it's one of the, you just can't look away. Yeah. And in, in all great kind of reality, <laughs> trashy TV, every episode is exactly the same. Yeah. 
right. with slightly different uh, protagonists. But I was convinced, well, clearly they, they make like essentially a loin, a loincloth or a kind of Adam and Eve leaf covering, which I assumed was just for television. Like the, right. you know, the producers offside, like, Hey, you know, we got to get those, this on the discovery channels, put this on. Uh, yeah, there's also the factor. You don't want to be just sitting in dirt without any, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where's that? And also a lot of these are on beaches. So there's also, which I did not consider the sunburn factor. Yeah. Oh yeah. You get so, sand in, in crevices. So what it necessitates, uh, as by, we're seeing. You, is a, you know what I mean by crevices. Yes, we right? do. Yes. Uh, yeah. um, that's why I'm trying to talk over you. <laughs> Um, what was always seeing this with this with this show, uh, you know, purports it's all you know it's staged, obviously, but is you know that hardcore problem solving. You know, you got to get in there and really make it work with what you have and all that. So, uh, you know, obviously, I assume that our Christ, a Christian Christian audience uh-huh. would not be uh, so basis to watch a show called Naked and Afraid, right? I assume on the uh, the Flanders level, you know, four hundred fifty channels, all of them blocked. Nice. <laughs> you know, it may have you know not. It, it, Naked to phrase, not making it through that uh, that child filter. Well, I, I'm against it. I totally. well, like to say I that. We certainly are. We all we want to be clear about that. We're all we're against almost everything we say on this show. Right. Um, but here's the so here's the idea: if the Christians don't know that naked and afraid exists, right? Can we make our own version, marketed wow. towards them, and make that sweet sweet cash? Okay. I think we can do that. I think, I think challenge. We, I think we can. I think we can do it. So I open the floor both to ideas and premises, but let us not forget uh, names in the convention. Mm. So right. Naked and afraid. Right. So, it, you know, I, well, we, we, you were pitching this before we, before we hit record. Don't ruin the magic, Glenn. And uh, I, <laughs> I suggested uh, clothed and ashamed. That's yeah, pretty good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> because... Uh, you know that that's that's what a lot of them are doing. Sure, yeah. We we could go with atoned and edified. Oh, that's oh, good. Oh, that's very good. That's very good. Also, also kind of sounds like we could pitch it as a, a kind of regency romance. Yeah, I like it. I like Here, it. Here's what I, I don't know what the name of it would be, but I'll pitch the premise. And you tell me the Please. name. So the, is the Christian version is one of them is still naked, right? And is in no way bothered by being naked. Okay. Just likes being naked. Sure, Maybe yeah. enjoying the naked. Okay. But the other one is Christian and fully clothed with a turtleneck sweater on this tropical island. Yeah. Oh. And is chewing out the naked one the whole time. Sure. Yes. I don't I don't know what that's called, but prudish yeah. and besweatered? Yes. <laughs> you know, or or like Adam and Eve kind of like you know uh, you know, naked and legalistic. One's oh, naked, one's yeah. legalistic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like naked legalism. That could also be a yeah. kind of a church uh, law drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. So that's a good premise. Yeah. Um. So um, we also because we don't have to. I don't think we have to stick to the the outdoorsy sense. We can okay. also take this into just Christian ideas. Or, okay. You know, we have a setting for like it's a challenge, and you have to escape with a partner you've been kind of put in there with. Yeah. Well, obviously, if it's a Christian thing, the environment is a coffee shop. That's where yeah. all Christians spend all of their time. That's so, true. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. We we left you in here with only one leather bound journal notebook. Yeah. Yeah. And a pen with half an ink in it. You know how much? How much can you really get written? Yeah. I like yeah, that. That's exactly like right. That. That's, that's exactly good. right. Yeah. Well, you could sort of combine this with the idea, you know, how they, I don't know if they still do, do this, but they used to do like the dating shows where like, sure. well, I guess like The Bachelor is sort of like that sure. or whatever those shows are, but, but it's like a dating show. You got a couple, you know, 
But the thing is, they're not dating. Okay. You put them in the coffee shop, and you you let loose like a feral animal. Yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. Now you have to ask the girl out before the feral animal eats your face. Yes. Incredible. I like this. A rabid badger has been released yeah. somewhere in this coffee shop. So you're, 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 you got the badger. You're dealing yeah. with that. Yeah. Yes. Tension right there. abounds. You got yeah. tension. Boy, yes. you, know, you can't even... Ta- you're not flipping the channel yeah. when you come to yeah. that. And he's been trained to go after mustache wax. Right. So it's only a matter of time. It's really like he is zoned in. Yeah. On your whole hipster outfit. Yeah, he's coming got. for you. He's coming for you. Yeah. He can smell the patchouli. He's coming for you. This is what I'm saying. Okay. But here's, here's what I'm We went way back for that hippie stereotype. Just, <laughs> Me too. People under yeah. the age of 30 are frantically Googling. Well, you just get it. But this is what's happening is the badger's coming for you. Right. Sure. You got to ask the gal out, but you got you got issues, you know. What sure, I mean? absolutely. You, 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 you haven't been uh, doing this stuff. You don't know where. What are the rules, man? Right, that right. Kind my, of thing. my, it's my baby and my badger. That's oh, I it. like it. Sure, that's it. Now, I on love, TLC. That it, that would definitely be on TLC. So I love the the dating aspect of this. Yeah. I think you know, in much in the same way that you know most people would fear, you know, dying naked and alone in a wilderness is the way that people who grew up uh, post 2000 in churches have been made to feel about dating. Yeah. It's a dating wilderness. Yeah. That same level of fear. It's a wilderness of dating. Now. Let me pitch you this. So we got a man, male and a female young who don't know each other. Right. But they have to find each other in this church service. Oh, full of old ladies, okay, and young couples, okay, and children, okay, mm-hmm. and they don't get to leave until they have five minutes of normal conversation. Oh, okay. whoa, oh my god! And one of the yeah. things that I, uh, a lot of these, I think a lot of these reality shows have it. So you know, to the feral animal point, you know, there if there was some danger, you know, they do the cutaway with the very serious voiceover. You know, they yeah. do the stats on the, you know, the the woodland badgers. Claws that are three feet long and is known to right. rip or bark right off a tree. So, so but you do that, but it's also you know the the girl sitting there is like, this is Sister Evelyn. To the uninitiated, she seems like she's here to help, but she's not. <laughs> she's been pitching this same nephew to every woman in this church <laughs> for the last eight years. Ah, uh, yeah. So you got hazards. You got to yeah, avoid. Yeah, 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 it's like a like a what do you call the Ninja Warrior show? Yeah, American Ninja Warrior. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I think a lot of people would rather try to run up a wall backwards than try to make it out of this church and have right. a conversation in front of people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. Yeah. yeah I think this could work. Yeah. You know, I think uh, w- what we need is a is a Christian reality TV thing, and I think that can't go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, Glenn's on board. Yeah, he's positive in a totally non sarcastic way. Yeah, because right. Christians have never just ripped off something else. No, right? No. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Here's one one other thing too, Please. fellas. Is you were saying the name of the show is Naked and Afraid. Indeed. Well, what's making them afraid? That's what I want to know. The I terrors believe. of the wilderness, Glenn. Yeah, it's all your all your creepy crawlies and whatnot. Well, that's uh, that's more like uh, naked and you know 
you know, what, where, where did that bug go? <laughs> that's you, a very. Are you saying that would not be a source of fear? <laughs> that's that's more of a dread, like an extreme dread. It's I a think. very specific kind of afraid. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's you know, it's like uh, uh, I'm really regretting my life choices. I yep. guess that's too long for a title of the show. I think I'm really regretting my life choices is the real title of almost every reality <laughs> show that has ever been filmed. I mean, yeah. but this, this is what I'm saying is, would it be a better show? If they were naked, but someone was making them afraid. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, yes, absolutely. Before we get Did you any have something else on that, Jay? deeper nope. into that premise, <laughs> I declare emergency off. Like somebody's and afraid of clowns. I think sure. if you're, that's exactly what I was trying to avoid. I think if you're being honest with yourself, listener, you look at the timestamp on your device right now, wherever you're listening to this, and you think they made it a lot further through that than I thought they would. Yeah. Before they had to pull the ripcord. Yeah. When I heard the phrase naked and afraid and realized I was listening to these four, I had low expectations and I imagine we cleared them. Yeah. Like one of them's naked nope. and has the clown Absolutely makeup on. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. We're moving on to the bridge box plug. We are still in the month of September looking at the idea of how do I use the Bible? Lord knows we all need it after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sermons from Glenn and myself, songs from Lee, from Pete Lawson, from many other talented. Wonderful friends, Bible studies. It's only $8 a month to sign up for Bridgebox. Great way to support what we do up here in Chicago, what Lee does down there in Tennessee. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're going to head to our first question here. If you have us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and find the links there. First question comes in and says, I have a friend who struggles with addiction. They're doing better now and ask me what scriptures they can read to encourage them. Where would you point them? And Glenn, a, a, sometimes we get questions on the show that don't have a lot of overlap with the old day job, but luckily mm. this one very much does. So where would you point someone? Well, I think the main thing is I, I think we make mistakes when we go looking for obscure Bible anything. Yep. That's a, that's a bad, uh, that's a bad, mission to the bible secret <laughs> yeah it's all in there it's all you know but the the, the main reason why i'm uh, harping on that is that the simplest truths are the most profound truths yeah and we talked last uh, week last episode about meditating on the word and the idea that there's a lot more depth there than we realize when we look at some of these very simple verses uh, give you an example. Um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You've probably heard that a million times. I have. What does that really mean? Think about it for a second. The joy of the Lord is our... Does, does that mean... I mean, it, how many people have come up to you and say, I just want you to feel strengthened, so now I will try and give you some joy in your life? That's there aren't a lot of Christians that have done that to me. Like I just want you to have a lot of personal strength. I'm just going to do something that gives you joy. That's that would be awesome. Yeah. Somebody do that. That would be great. If you know somebody, do that to them. But it's a, it's a verse you just hear over and over and over again. You sort of begin to gloss over. You don't think about it. So recognize that 
some of these very basic verses that you already know may really have a depth of application that, that if you think about it, it will be there. Um, I think in terms of helping other people get into the scriptures, uh, it's, it's about recognizing that we want to start with the basics. And for the Bible, that doesn't necessarily mean starting with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I think a, a lot of us, the way that we learn is we want to start at the beginning. You know, there, there's some people, they buy the car and they go out into the, the parking lot and sit in the car and they open the owner's manual and it says page one, <laughs> you know. We're glad you bought this quality pre-owned uh, Acura vehicle. You probably have lots of questions. Yes, I do. <laughs> You're reading about tire pressure and all. There's other people. They're gonna get in that car and you know peel rubber out of the parking lot. See what happens. See what happens. We'll get to that boring stuff later. <laughs> nerds. Uh, you know, nerds. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, when it comes to Bible stuff, you know, it turns out the people that want to peel out actually do a little better. You know, the the idea of I want to be very systematic about this. Uh, it, it we end up going the long way around uh, figuring these things out. We have to start with the basics of the of the faith. That might start, for example, at John three sixteen, which is further back in the book. So, uh, giving ourselves permission uh, to not be that lockstep learner that starts at the beginning uh, is important. Uh, but I'm going to transition this into the other fellows and give you a lot of good handholds on this. But the fundamental thing here is almost all addictions, and this would include uh, bad habits, really bad life choices that have really kicked you behind, anything down that kind of road, started with an attitude of, I can handle it. I got this. I got this. Mm. That's where all this addiction starts with someone who says, I know heroin has ruined the lives of roughly 100% of people who have taken it. But, but, <laughs> however, I got a system. I would, I can beat this. I call it my Monday heroin approach. Right. I only do heroin <laughs> on Mondays. On Mondays. You know, that's my cheat day. You know, <laughs> that's not. Uh, I'm sober six days a week, y'all. That, that's right. That is not going to work. I mean, this is, this is, so that's how we get into it, is I can handle it. Recovery uh, in, on any level with anything. Uh, starts with, I need a higher power. And again, I'm going to transition that off to these other fellows, but it's about understanding the dynamic between I got this and I need a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity, to, to physical and mental and spiritual health. It's a great, great place to start that off. And in case you're thinking, wow, that thing Glenn said about restoring me to sanity sounds very smart. And I'm impressed that he came up with it as well. You should be. And he's very wise. That's right. I it just made that up. It also bears a very strong resemblance to uh, 12 other aphorisms you may have heard. And did Glenn write them out? Well, we don't know. They're technically published anonymously. The decision is up to you. So, Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because we're, we're, we are big fans of the 12 steps here. Uh, we've seen that do a lot of good for a lot of people. It may not be for everyone, but we think that's certainly an excellent sobriety model if you're starting off. Yep. Um, how does scripture line up with the things that a friend who's doing well in recovery might be picking up in those 12-step meetings? Well, it's, it's a great question. And one of the things that I love about this question is, it turns out, in our experience, there's a lot of help 
out there. Whatever you're going through, there, there's people who want to help. But, you know, one of the things for Christians that we can run into a lot, unfortunately, is Christians being suspicious of help that doesn't sound exactly like what they heard at a Sunday morning sermon. Um, and a lot of Christians have been taught to be suspicious of anything that, that could be considered worldly or just, this doesn't sound exactly like church, and I don't want someone to lead me down the wrong path. And some of that suspicion comes from a good place, some of it doesn't, but either way, we want to put a lot of Christians who, who are pretty suspicious of, of basically any help that is not exactly like a Sunday morning sermon. So, Part of what we can do here is to look at particularly how the beginning of the 12 steps lines up with Scripture. So I'm going to read you, this is directly from alcohol.org, the first three steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives to the care of God as we understood him. Those are the first three steps of the 12 steps. Now, for context, we're going to compare that with the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, here's what's interesting is, in a sense, it's almost in the reverse order, but those three first steps, the 12 steps, are embedded in this passage directly. So step one, we admitted we were powerless over our addiction. The whole point of this passage is, as a Christian, we recognize, I need help. I need mercy and grace because, man, I have issues. Okay, step two is, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This verse says that God can help that there, there is help, at least theoretically, available. Total 100% overlap. Step three says we chose to submit our will, to turn our lives over to God as a part of receiving that help. That's literally what this passage is telling us to do. Let us then go to God. Since he gets it, since he understands, since he wants to help us, let us go to God and let us receive that help and that mercy and that grace which we need. I think one of the things that we have seen again and again with people in addiction recovery is that, as they say, the steps work when you work them. Um, One of the things that goes right along with Glenn's very well put idea of, I got this, is people decide, you know what? I don't need all this mumbo jumbo. I'm going to go be sober by myself. I'm going to do, I'm going to do my own steps, my own way. And I'm going to, I'm going to do a remix. That's what it's going to be. And, it's gonna be, and I don't, you know, I don't need anybody telling me anything. I'm going to go do my own thing. And that works approximately 0% of the time. Um, but the reason I bring it up and to link it back to the idea of Christians being suspicious is a lot of church-going people have a way of doing that exact thing. They just use different words to describe it. They say, well, I don't know about all, because they said higher power, but they didn't say Jesus, so how Christian could it really be, and besides, and so forth, and I, you know, a pastor never talked about it, so it's probably, no, 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 This stuff works. It is biblical. It is good. It has helped a lot of people. If you're in a place where you need help with addiction recovery, it can help you, but it works when you work it. 
And there's a, there's a humility that begins this process of recognizing I need help. There's also humility that continues this process, saying not only is there a God who is greater than me, there are also people who know more than me, who've been doing this longer than me, who can see things that I can't see. And all of that is represented very well there in that uh, passage out of Hebrews 4. Absolutely right. That is all really great stuff. Lee, can you close us out with maybe one or two more passages you would have someone look at? Yeah, I would just tack a couple of things on there at the end. I love the point that Jed made at the end about the humility of both the 12 steps and the biblical approach. Um, humility is always going to lead us into a good direction. There's a passage in 1 John chapter 1 that talks about, it's it's really kind of a, a really interesting kind of philosophical conversation where he talks about walking in darkness versus walking in light. And that whole passage is about honesty and not deceiving ourselves. Um, and, and I'll tell you that anybody that I know, and, and because I've done a lot of prison ministry and because of the, the kinds of outreach that we do around here, um, we've, we've met, uh, you know, also, we, we have also met a lot of folks who have been a part of the, the 12 step programs and, and they will all tell you that having the courage to be open and honest and vulnerable, uh, with the people, you know, with people that you feel safe around and feel protected by and all that kind of stuff. That is one of the most life-changing things that can happen as far as breaking out of addiction. This is part of working the program that Jed is saying. When um, the Folks in 12 Steps will always say the program works when you work it, ex- exactly as he said. And part of that program is having the courage to be honest and open and vulnerable about who you are. Um, one of the most important things to understand, and folks in 12 Steps will tell you this, is that as you're trying to work your recovery, you have to understand why you're turning to that addiction. You have to understand what what is the the emptiness that I'm trying to fill up? What is the the itch that I'm trying to scratch? What is the injury that I'm trying to medicate? Um, what where am I hurt? And I'm trying to take medicine for this thing. That's a super important thing, and and I, I would key on to a a place in the, the book of James in chapter one that talks about going to God for wisdom, which is what you're going to need. You can't just decide, I'm going to, I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to stop this behavior. That's not the way anything works. You've got to be open and honest. You've got to have this humility that Jed's talking about. And you've got to have a wisdom that comes from the Lord to understand what is the itch that I'm trying to scratch? What is the problem that I'm trying to solve? What is the thing that I'm trying to medicate? So that you can figure out what, um, you know, what are some healthier behaviors that I can replace as I'm trying to figure out how to move through this. These are all questions that you would answer were you to walk through a 12-step program. And they're, and they're exactly as Jed said, all this stuff in the 12 steps are extremely biblical precepts extremely biblical concepts. I need to be honest about who I am. I need to entrust myself to someone um, who is with whom I'm safe so that I can be open, honest about myself. And I need to go to the Lord for the wisdom to figure out how can I strategize and come up with good tactics so that I can actually medicate um, in a healthy way so that I can actually cope and go to a refuge that works and that helps instead of one that is harming me and hurting me. That is all really fantastic stuff from three guys who definitely know what they're talking about on this subject. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I have a rough past and I just can't accept it. Can't accept that it was me that did all that and destroyed so much. I can ignore the past, but I can't really live with it. I know that's wrong, 
but I can't see any other way. And Jed, uh, we, as we often do on the show, a, a great question, a very honest one, one that uh, seems like someone who's really ready to move on and maybe doesn't have the, the tools to do that. So where would we start them off? Well, we love you. That's thing number one. We're praying for you. Yeah. That's thing number two. And we're glad that you wrote in. Here's what I would have you consider just to start is, first of all, literally everybody has a past. I mean, literally everyone. We can talk about the scale of it, I suppose, if you want to. Uh, but everyone has a past that includes things they wish had not happened. That's, there is no one who lives with no regrets, man. That, there, just, there just is not. Um, but when we talk about the idea of a past that includes things we wish had not happened, that actually includes two different kinds of things. And I think you're only looking at one of them. The one that I think you're looking at is that you hurt other people. Um, and you cause people that you care about damage in their lives. And again, I don't know the scale of that. Um, and, you know, uh, maybe that scale matters to a certain extent. Maybe it doesn't. But for purposes of our argument, I don't know what that scale is. But I'm confident that you hurt other people to some extent because literally everyone has done that. Yeah. But also, other people hurt you too. That's also part of your past and part of the things that you wish had not happened and that I wish had not happened. And here's the key thing is we get into a lot of trouble whenever we pick either one of those and refuse to acknowledge them. Mm. Either way causes huge problems in people's lives. Let's get into why that is for a second. Again, I have the strong suspicion that your, your focus is on the fact that you, that you hurt other people. Nothing comes from nothing. Another saying that gets used a lot around recovery circles is hurting people hurt people. There may be somewhere in the world people that that need some medical care who for no reason are just hurting other people because that's just they just wake up in the morning and they just love to hurt people for no reason. But that would be an epic minority of the human experience. Yeah. The vast majority of people who are going around wounding others are doing that because they have been deeply wounded in their own lives. That, to be clear, does not excuse their actions and behavior. It doesn't make that stuff okay. It doesn't erase the consequences of it. It doesn't let them off the hook. But it does offer something really important, which is an explanation. Mm. There's a saying in French, and I can't say it in French, but I can tell you the English version says, to understand all is to forgive all. When you can understand where something came from, doesn't mean you excuse it. But it's a heck of a lot easier to forgive it. If, and this would be a wrong thing, we're not going to excuse it, but suppose that part of your past was bullying people. And that was something that you did. I think one of the questions we want to look at is, were you bullied in your own life? Right. Did you have people be cruel and unkind to you? The reason that's important, again, is not because it excuses the things that you did. The reason it's important is it gives us a sense of narrative of where those things came from. When you say in your question, I just, I can't live with my past, my guess is the thing that you can't live with is you don't know how to conceive of yourself. Am I just a monster? Am I just an awful, awful person who just loves doing awful things? And if we're going to be honest, a lot of Christian stuff actually really goes in that direction of just, I'm, I'm a worm and I'm terrible and I'm the worst and I just, I love evil because of how evil I am. But just basic human observation bears that that's not very often the case. If you went through a lot of rough experiences that pointed you in a bad direction and you did bad things, the real takeaway is, is again, it's not about excusing anything, but the real takeaway is I don't think you made any choices at any point. 
I think you were doing the one next obvious thing based on the trajectory that you were on. The question, if you want to move forward, is what would it be like, now that you know that, what would it be like for you to start making choices today for the first time in your life? In other words, I don't think you ever sat down and decided, here's the kind of person I want to be. People hurt you and then you just lived. That's, that's what happened. What's before you now, again, I believe for the first time in your life, is to ask, what kind of person do I want to be today? What kind of life do I want to live today? What kind of impact do I want to have in the world? Recognizing that God actually wants you to be an amazing person and to live an amazing life and to have an amazing impact on the world. God, God wants all of that for you. But it's pretty difficult to get to any of that, A, if we're just refusing to look at our past. And again, the both aspects of it, both the things we did and the things that were done to us. And it's pretty difficult to get to that future if we're not willing to start intentionally making choices about the direction that we want to go in the future. Here's the thing we know. If you're bold enough to ask this question you're bold enough to start making decisions, intentional decisions about your future and living yeah. a new kind of life. Really, really strong place to start this off. And Lee, let's let's continue to look at this idea of moving on because I think it's, it's a critical one to this question of um, we're looking at acceptance, looking at moving on, we're looking at ignoring, and maybe it's poorly understood how those things all interrelate with each other. So where will we start looking at that? Yeah, I think that 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 you know the way the question is worded, that tendency is, I want to just close my eyes and close my ears and move forward as if nothing ever happened. Um, and, and there's a there's a sense in which that would be uh, super relieving if somebody could tell me this never happened. Then um, that would be that would be really comfortably I, for me. I, I never had to be this person or whatever. Um, the really interesting thing is that in the message of the good news, there's something kind of even better that's available. Because the problem with that is that if if I try to tell myself that this never happened, I actually know that's not possible. I, I'm going to, in some sense, carry this around. I think Jed's exactly right. I think that the more we understand your story, the more we understand where you came from, the more it makes sense whatever it is that you've done that you feel so terrible about. That... that all tracks that all makes perfect sense and that's a great first step in in being able to actually look at what this is but the idea that if i could just ignore this and move forward then i would be more happy i don't know that we're going to actually be able to do that but in the message of the good news and what it means to know jesus we're going to find what we need there's a place in hebrews chapter 8 and i want to read this because it's just so so cool it's one of those things that you know, that's in the scriptures that I couldn't have made up. It's kind of too good. Um, this is what uh, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is quoting the, the uh, prophecy of Jeremiah. And he says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. This is so cool. Um, because what the Lord is saying to you is, it's not that I want to pretend that that whatever you did never happened, and we're just going to try to, we're just going to ignore it. We're not going to do that. We're going to look at it straight up. We're going to call it what it is. We're going to call it wrong. We're going to call it just exactly what it is. And then I'm going to pay for all of it. And then we're never going to talk about it again. 
It's not that we're going to ignore it. It's going to be completely paid for, and then we're going to walk away. Um, we're going we're gonna to say what it is. It's going to be completely covered, paid for, dealt with. You, it's not that we're ignoring it. We're dealing with it and moving through it to the other side. And the other side is, the Lord says, I'll never bring it up again. I'll never talk about it again. I'm not going to treat you as if you're the person who did that thing. It's over. It's in the past. It's gone. Exactly as Jed said, everybody has a past. The more we know about your past, the more we understand the things that you've done. But here's what I'm saying to you. It's paid for. It's over. And we never have to look at it again. I think that what the Lord wants to do is, in an unafraid way, deal with everything head up, face up. We deal with it, we look at it, we can talk about it, and then we can move on. Not moving on ignoring it, moving on with dealing with it. Jesus paid for it, it's settled, it's over, it's squashed, it's gone. It's not ignored. It's dealt with. And that is a different thing emotionally. It's a different thing in reality, but it's also a different thing emotionally. If we try to ignore it, we're not going to be able to. But if it's dealt with, if it's paid for, if it's squashed, if it's forgotten, then we can move forward. It's all really, really good stuff. And Glenn, in, in our work with the folks who work at the bridge and you know, folks who work with and behind bars, I think there is a lot of this idea of trying to to skip this acceptance piece that Lee's talking yeah. about. And go straight to whatever word you might use for deliverance, or I'm a new person, or I don't worry about that anymore. And that really works out about zero out of 100 times. Right. Why is that working through acknowledging acceptance part so critical to being able to move on in a healthy way? Well, I think we're we're just not... I think to a certain extent, it's about living in the truth versus living in a fantasy. You know? Yeah. The path to greatness is not waking up one day and saying, you know what? I'm actually great. And then I always suspected I was great, and now I realize it. Yeah, I I am great, and I'm going to tell everybody I'm great. What a relief. I have gold all up in my watch. Wow. So I am great. That's, that is, that's a pretty sweet watch. It's actually it. not the path to greatness. There's That is not how you get to be great, is you decide one day that you're great. And then you ignore everything that isn't great. Uh, the the reason why that's not the path to greatness is because you have to actually fix stuff. Yep. In order to fix stuff, you <laughs> have to admit to yourself it exists. If you deny that that stuff is there and is messed up and is causing problems, there's no way to fix it. If you don't fix it, Man, is your life going to be dark and it's going to be lonely. We've said it on the show before. We're going to say it again. If you can't admit that you're wrong, all your relationships are temporary. Yep. Because people get tired of mm. you know you just letting them think they're to blame for everything. And sooner or later, they figure out, well, I'm not to blame for all of this. And you're you're not accepting the blame for any of it. So Bye-bye. You know, yeah, I've had enough of that. <laughs> and people will put up with, with stuff for a while sometimes, but eventually they wear out on that. Uh, so let me ask this. Let's come at this from a different angle then. If that's not going to work, let's ask this question. How good at you, or how good are you at hiding this from yourself? I, I asked this question to the people when I, when I preached on this at the bridge. How good at you are, are you at hiding your past from yourself? 
And you could tell they, they thought about it for a second, but it, it, it certainly hit them. I'm not good at, at hiding the past for myself. Mm. I try to do, I try to be in denial. I try to just move on, ignore it. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna dwell on it. I'm just gonna, you know, gloss over it. I'm not gonna engage with it the way Lee was talking about. I'm just gonna skip it. Well, here's what happens is you keep thinking about it anyway, don't you? Yep. Okay, so not only is the denial not setting you it's, it's it's not getting you to a point where you're just moving on or whatever else uh, in, in glossing over it, but it, it, it's also not serving its own purpose. You're, if, it's, if it keeps not working in terms of you can't just deny it, then why be in denial? It, it needs to be a 100% solution. You yeah. know, there, so if you're going to put in a lot of work, the least you can do is make sure that that stuff gets fixed. I mean, that's, that's the least that you can expect out of that kind of situation. Uh, but it's it's important to recognize that when you get into that place, things change right away. Mm. There's a lot of areas in our life where we have to work and strive over weeks and months and years to really get to a place where we get free and we get happy and we see the benefit. The thing about being about confessing and admitting and grabbing that acceptance, it feels better right away. Mm-hmm. You think it won't. You think it'll kill you. You think it'll just destroy you to think, I did that thing. It won't. <laughs> yeah. It just won't. Right. You, you say, I did that thing. It was really wrong. It really stinks. But now, if it doesn't kill you, you realize, I can survive this. Then you realize, I can fix some of it. Mm-hmm. I can't fix all of it, but I can make it be a little better. And you realize people aren't really attacking you the way they were before in quite the same way. They may still be mad at you, but it it's hard to be mad at someone who's fully acknowledging and taking total responsibility for what they did. It, it's you're, They're really not cooperating. A good argument is two people having different viewpoints, but if, if you agree with them, yeah, I did that, that was wrong, I have no excuse, it was bad, then it's hard to be angry with that person. So you're you're setting yourself from free from all that, but man, uh, here's the thing that's killing you. It's not the reminder of this bad thing that you did. That's not what's killing you. What's killing you is trying to hide from it. Mm. The moment that you live out from underneath that, you are going to feel the relief of that. Give you a a concrete example. I I had a, a a gal that I dated many many years ago in the late Jurassic period. Ah. And I was not good in this relationship. <laughs> okay. So I, and that was literally in the first paragraph of my response. I'm glad you contacted me. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, great to hear from you. Uh, to, to save us a long discussion, I was not a good boyfriend. And um, I am glad that you found someone that you love and that you have a life and whatever. It's, I, you deserve it. Uh, and I'm glad that you, you know, uh, found a man who could treat you better than I could at that time. I eventually learned to treat women better and do better and be more mature and be grown and be an adult. Uh, but I'm glad that you found that on your own. And uh, that admitting of that and taking that mm. out of that discussion with that person now there wasn't that tension. Now that was just like everybody can move on. Right. That's what I want for you in your situation. Absolutely right. That is all 
really, really fantastic stuff here. We move on to our final question comes in anonymously and it says, Hi guys, thanks for being my favorite podcast. Correct. That's Correct. Favorite. Correct. Leave a review. Spelled with the Indeed. That's favorite spelled with a U. So this person may be anonymous, but we know they're from one of the fancy countries. Wow. Fancy. I wanted to ask why I feel so judgmental to people at my church. With unbelievers, I'm patient and don't judge where they've been. But with people at my church, I feel upset when they're doing something wrong. That could be something as small as a worship leader courting a non-Christian girl to other people in the church having very serious problems with their marriage. How do I stop feeling upset enough to love them well? Mm. And a really fantastic question. That last bit is, is I think, is very wise. And Lee, where would we kick off here? Well, I, I would kick off at one place, which is everyone around me is sinning all the time. I'm just going to go ahead and lay that out there. It's not just... I mean, Lee hangs out with us, so his numbers are a little skewed, but it's true of most people. <laughs> Everybody's sinning all the time. Um, I, I would reference a, a very good Jed Brewer song that I love, which is, I am not a judge, and I'm not the police. Father, I'm your child. You're the one that chose me. Um, I, I love that song because it, it helps me keep my mind in a good mind frame, which is... Every single person around me is sinning all the time, and I'm not necessarily the person whose job it is to go ahead and call everybody out all the time. Um, That's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, The questions that I would ask are these. One, is anyone in this situation asking you what you think about it? Two, have I earned the right to be heard by anybody in this situation? One of the things you'll hear us say a lot about ministry is that we do not give unsolicited advice. Uh, every answer we've ever given on this show in seven years is because someone literally asked us, what do you think about this situation? We do not just go into your earbuds and tell you, this is what we think about your life, you sinners. Like, that's not, that's not the role that we take. We actually are answering questions that people are asking us. Um, one of the things that I would ask is, do I know how I would walk alongside this person if they wanted me to help them walk this out, walk out of this and into a healthy situation? That's a really, really important thing. The reason that I ask that question is that there are a lot of people who would love nothing more than to sit around and talk about somebody and would love nothing more than to sit around and be upset that this person is sinning. This person is in a, this person is in an unhealthy relationship. Did you see this? Did you hear that? Did you, did you notice this other thing? And I want to make sure that if I were to enter into this situation, that I would be ready to walk with that person into a situation of health. Um, the, The reason that's so important is that a judgmental person doesn't feel, doesn't feel any of those things. A judgmental person isn't asking the question, have I, being, have I been asked what my opinion is? A judgmental person is not wondering, have I earned the right to be heard? And a judgmental person certainly isn't thinking, am I ready to do the work of walking alongside this person? I can tell you this, and everybody else that hosts this podcast can also tell you this as well. When we get asked advice by somebody who is teachable, humble, and ready to move out of an unhealthy thing into a healthy thing, we kind of gear ourselves up for something that may take some time. It may get funky. It may get weird. But we're gearing up for a 
what could be a long haul. Maybe it'll be one or two conversations, but many times it's a much more complex and difficult thing. Somebody that's just on a judgmental tip isn't looking for that kind of investment. And so when you look at your heart in the middle of this situation, where is it? Um, are you are you ready to walk with somebody through the difficulty of figuring out how to move something into a place of health along the lines of what the Lord is looking for? Um, do you have any idea what the wisdom would be in that situation? Or is it just a thing where you're looking at somebody else's life and you're like, that seems naughty. I'm upset about it. I think I'll go talk to them. Um, that's not really the way that, that, that we do things. Um, we want to make sure that if I'm entering into a situation, uh, again, everybody around me is sinning all the time. But there are a few people in my life who are coming to me and asking from a place of humility, what do you think about the way that I'm living this out? Um, do you see anything in me that you would call out or you would push back on or that you would give me some advice on? Those are the situations that I want to enter into. Those are the situations that I want to invest in and the rest of it. Um, I'm not going to jump in and give you my opinion if I'm not being asked for it. A wise, wise place for us all to start. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up here because I think another one of these dividing lines, um, kind of Lee's talking about, of is this idea of our desire to call out not only wrongness, but hypocrisy and sure. people kind of, I think there can be the sense that if you are Christian and particularly the closer you are Christian to me, if we yeah. are at the same church, if we are at the same reading the same book or whatever, anything you're doing that doesn't line up with that is kind of chipping away at the reality of how Christian I am. Sure. And that can be a very important factor here, right? I think it is. I, I'm going to tell you a, a weird story for a second. It's going to link back to all this, but um, I'm talking about tea parties with my very, very young nieces. All right. So I have a bunch of little nieces. They're actually not so little anymore because I'm getting old. But there was a time when they were very little. And when Uncle Jed was there, we wanted to have tea party. And you've probably done this too. So we sit down at the, the tiny little table that a grown person does not fit at. And you have the plastic cups um, that are decorated to look very fancy, but are plastic and have nothing in them. There is there's no tea at this tea party. And there's the, there might be plastic foods, like there's like a plastic cupcake and whatnot. And we use the, the plastic teapot that, again, does not have tea in it. But we, we pantomime that we're pouring the tea and we're drinking the tea and we're eating the crumpets and whatnot. It's all make-believe. And it's fine. Because these are three-year-old children, and it's delightful to them, and it's delightful that their uncle would hang out with them, and it's great, and it's fantastic. I, I, I bet you've done that. If you haven't, I hope you get to do it, because it's a lot of fun. It's super, super cool. Now, I want you to take that thought and imagine you're, you're downtown in a city. You're there on business. You don't know the city, but you could really use a cup of coffee, and you see, oh, there's a, there's a local coffee shop. Great. I'm going to pop in there. I'm going to get a cup. It's going to be great. And you go in, and same thing. It's all plastic cups with nothing in them, and the food is made of plastic, and people are pantomiming as though they are at a coffee shop and drinking, but there's nothing in any of these glasses, and all the food is plastic. This would be super weird. This isn't fun with your little nieces. This is weird, unreal behavior, and I need to go now because this is kind of creeping me out. It's kind of a bizarre idea, right? Except that I think a lot of people feel that way when they go to church, where we've read about what this is supposed to be. It's loving your enemies. It's praying for those who persecute you. It's, you know, caring for the poor. And then we go to this place 
And it's totally not that. Wow. It's it's totally fake. It's people pantomiming. Everything is plastic and there's no tea in any of these cups. And we look around and we see people that we know are having massive issues in their lives, but they're they're playing make believe. They're pretending like these things are not going on. And I think the again the unreality of that is hard on our brains. I think it really messes with us and it leaves us, it may land at a place of judgmentalism, but I think first it's just, what is this? I don't, I don't even know what box to put this in in my brain. You know, uh, Matt wisely left out some of the more uh, detailed stuff you said in your question, but the final situation that you described is a messed up situation. Right. I mean, it's, you know, th- there's, if you want to go read, there's First Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul is dealing with some church stuff, and he begins by saying, you've brought up to me an issue in your church that non-believers would not put up with. Right. And, then, and then he goes on from there. And the final thing that you described in your question kind of falls in that category of, I know a lot of non-Christians who would look at that and go, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, whoa. That's bad marriaging. Don't do that. Don't do that. I think the reason why you're more comfortable with your secular friends or with your unbelieving friends is because they don't have that same unreality thing going on. Yeah. They're not playing make-believe in that same way. They're, I have a lot of non-Christian friends, and they're aware that they got struggles. They're aware that they've got issues. They may not know the finer points of all of those. They may not have a perfect sense of proportion on of it, but they're, I'm not doing great. It's, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Some things are going well. Some things are really not um, I'm just kind of doing the best I can. And the thing is that viewpoint more or less, uh, matches with reality. So it's fairly easy to say, all right, I can, I can work with that. But if you're in a place again, where, you know, people are supposed to be about certain things and they're really, they're definitely not like that stuff's not happening. And they're supposed to be keeping away from other things and they're not doing that either, but we're all pretending like that's not the case. That will weird out your brain. There's just, there's no way around that. The thing I want to encourage you to do is, uh, A, I want to back up everything Lee said. And in addition to that, I want to encourage you to find a fellowship where people are honest and real and authentic with their struggles in their lives. Um, Where people are imperfect, yes, but they're about what they're about. They know what they're trying to do. They know what they're trying to accomplish. And they're, they're on that journey in, in a real and substantive way. That may not be a Sunday morning worship service. That could be a celebrate recovery meeting. That could be the fellowship after you serve at the soup kitchen with a local charity. But I, I think you deserve to have that kind of fellowship in your life. And we want to encourage you, rather than trying to fix this thing over here that's busted, how to find that good kind of fellowship. It's a really great point. And Glenn, that leads us to, I think, an aspect of this that should be explored, which is maybe the reason you're upset with these people is because you love them and they're being massive screw ups. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, yeah. Like there's not anything inherently wrong with that. That doesn't indicate a bigger spiritual problem on your part, but it yeah. could indicate problems in the environs. Well, that's right. You, you know, you're saying, uh, how do I stop feeling upset enough to love them? Well, I think if you love people and they're messing themselves up and the people around them up, you, you're going to be upset. That's the, sane response to that situation i i get upset with people i love in a way that i don't get upset with people i don't care for you're here you know there that's uh, so that's that's just having feelings and that's not a bad thing uh we, we don't have to vilify that um uh, probably patience maybe is more of a thing and understanding and whatever those kinds of things but even so, if I get a lot of patience and understanding and all, perspective and all that, I'm going to come right back to what Jed was just saying, which is 
uh, yeah, but y'all are all pretending to be doing better than what you are, and that rhymes with lying. You know, you're deceiving us into, you know, whatever. We're all doing it, and we all know that we're doing it, so it's almost close to like a social convention, like we're all applying for a job in this church or something, so we're all trying to pretend like we're on some first date, and we're all behaving better and dressing better than what we normally do. Uh, and I, I, I again, I... I I'm not trying to vilify that, but I am saying it's if if it's killing the life of the church, it's got to go, and we all know that it is. Um, the the other thing I want to say in this, and thanks for saying that uh, we're your favorite podcast. That actually means a ton to us. We we love our listeners right back. We talk about you guys a lot. Uh, we talk about how we can do better by you a lot, uh, and. Uh, I think one of the things we would want to say to you in this situation is that it's fair for you to want to have people that you can look up to. Mm. Yep. That's reasonable. I think then it's good. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it would be a mistake to say, I can't look up to anybody. So I'm not going to, and I'm, I'm not going to do that. Some of us have tried that. That's actually not a great approach to life. It really isn't. Cause you, you kind of, you, 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 you start thinking that you are, the only spiritual one in the room, and then that's not healthy and good either. That, that kind of doesn't work, and it you, you'll find many times when it's not true and, and all of that. Uh, everyone around you is human. They're all sinning, as Lee said. They all make mistakes. I don't think we ought, ought to be putting people on a pedestal. I think that's that's a bad idea uh, generally. Uh, but I think it is good for you to to say, I used to look up to this person. And now I realize I need to be a little more discerning about that. Yeah. I need to think about it. I need to make a choice for myself on that. And I made a better choice. I found someone that I can really look up to and whatnot. Um, I, I noticed that two of the, the people, the, the, these two examples you gave are both worship leaders. Uh, two of the people on this podcast are worship leaders and world-class worship leaders. Well, thank you. Mm. Uh, one of us used to be a worship leader, and then he preached once, and they said, yeah, why don't you preach? So there's that. Sort of a a, 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 a fleeting glance at it. <laughs> uh, but I think what all three of us would say... About that is when we first started off as worship leaders, we were not spiritual giants. Yes. We should not, on that basis, have been looked up to. Okay. Nope. Uh, We were young. Yep. Big time. Uh, Some of us were very much pretty in the face. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, you know, had hair. Sure. And we're cool. Long, flowing locks. (laughs) Yeah. Big time cool. I mean, just cool, you know. Uh, so, yeah, you, if you were a young person and you're hearing this guy and he's leading worship and he's doing the thing and he's a cool guy, you think, man, I really look up to this guy. I want to be like this guy. I want to I want to get in the groove. And that's, again, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong at that. But as as people who have been that guy, we would want to tell you now, that's a bad, that's a bad idea. Yep. Uh, it's just those those are not the people to be looked up to. Now, in your church, there might be a, an old lady who is super not cool, and her hair is not in a cool configuration, 
and she does not know how to operate the the internet and so forth. But she's been, you know, doing, uh, uh, taking care of the kids in the nursery for the past 40 years. Come on now. She she may have more wisdom by accident than that worship leader may ever on board. I think that's likely. <laughs> so, you know, it's about looking around and saying, you know, this person has a great, a much, much greater depth of insight and knowledge and patience and mm. care and concern. They understand how this stuff works in a way that a hip, young, cool guy kind of can't. And I'm not trying to put down the worship leaders, but you follow what I'm saying. I don't know that they're it's qualified. Fine. You to, can put us down. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know that that these people were qualified to be mentors or leaders to you in that sense. I don't know if they were presented to you in that way, but I, I from the way you're describing it, I don't think they're qualified to to be mentors to you. And uh, I think it's appropriate for you to say, I'm not sure these are people on my level. <laughs> I think I might have spiritually speaking, matured past where they are. Right. Uh, and that should not shock you or surprise you. It should not be something you feel like is uh, impossible to happen. Uh, that Those things happen, and, uh, uh, you know, sometimes they pick these worship leaders because they're pretty in the face, and, uh, you know, we think, well, you know, the people will want to come and hear the praise and worship because they're pretty in the face and sing good and all that good stuff. But that doesn't qualify them to be mentors. That also can apply to some of the pastors that might be in your church or a leader here or there. It's about recognizing some of these people, just because they have the title after their name, doesn't mean they actually are qualified and and able to lead you. Uh, And I think it's up to you to give yourself permission to find that person uh, that you can look up to, recognizing that they're human, but recognizing they also have a lot of wisdom for you. That's all really fantastic stuff from all these guys. Okay, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. If you'd like to remain anonymous, we're going to take up the song this week. This is from our sister program, The Bridge Loud. Nice. The title of the song is Invincible. It features the vocals of our friend John Howard from the band Threat Signals. <laughs> check out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, it's like a reality show starring you, named Listening and Amazing and Hopefully Wearing Pants to be going to Yeah.